All right, I've tried to film this ad maybe 15 times, so I'm just, whatever we come up with now is what is going to go on the podcast. I appreciate that that's completely unprofessional, but you know, when it's an ad for your own company, you can get away with these things. So today's podcast is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia, the number one caffeine supplement in the world, uh, according to me, who owns the company. And I've tried a lot of caffeine supplements and you know, caffeine drinks and, you know, I'm a big caffeine guy and this is definitely the best one I've ever had. Uh, it's got heaps of benefits, so it's batch tested, so it's safe for professional athletes and semi-professional athletes to use. Um, it's also great for recreational athletes like me, um, pub athletes like my mate Pony, um, who anyone that knows me would know very well. And yeah, it's just great. I've, I remember I've, I first tried it during the 2015 NRC, we played something like three games in 12 or 13 days or something ridiculous. And we had a 7 p.m. kickoff in Manly. So we leave, we left Melbourne at 7 a.m. And I just remember feeling exhausted leading up to the game, as anyone in their right mind would. Well, maybe not anyone, but I definitely was. And I remember the boys having this chewing gum before the game. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's this? And I like, try some, try some. And I went from being completely annihilated to feeling like I could run through a brick wall in about five seconds. I've been hooked on it ever since. We sent it to professional sporting teams in Japan, all over Australia, New Zealand. Um, And anything you buy there helps support the podcast, which I really appreciate. And um, yeah, that's enough shameless self-promotion for today. We've got a spectacular guest, so we may as well just get straight into it. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's edition of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world, without a question. So before I introduce today's very special guest and we get into the episode, I just want to thank everyone who's been listening to the podcast so far, who's been sharing it, commenting it, commenting on it, subscribing. Uh, I've got a lot of messages from people who are enjoying it and learning a lot with me as we go. Uh, which is truly appreciated and it, it helps helps give me the energy to keep going. Uh, obviously, I'm learning a lot, but it really means a lot that other people are enjoying it as well. Um, yeah, so at the moment, it's, it's very heavily rugby-focused. Eventually, I'm going to get into other sports and other areas of life and just, you know, basically use it as a personal development tool for anyone that wants to fulfill their true potential. Um, so, yeah, I'm really appreciating all the support, um, yeah, feel free to reach out if you ever want to chat about anything or if you've got any requests for people that you want on the podcast. Um, my only real prerequisite is that I've got to be interested in the person because then I can have a genuine conversation and really pick their brain. And yeah, thanks very much. And please make sure you follow us on social media as well. That support means a lot. And the more people that see us on social media, the more people can view and listen and watch the podcast. So yeah, let's get to today's episode. So today's very special guest is a guy that I only just recently found out about. And, you know, which is probably to my shame because the more and more I learn about this guy, the more and more impressed I am with him as a person and him as a coach. Uh, He's the head coach of the Kobe Co Steelers in Japan. Uh, working with Wayne Smith, who's also been on the podcast over there. Um, he's just a really interesting guy. Like uh, the, the effort he puts into some self-development stuff, uh, relationship building, the human element of coaching, it's really made me realize how important it is building connections uh, in business, in sport, in life. And that the secret to success is trying to get the most out of people and you know, yes, we might be coaches or business people, but in reality, we've got to get through to people. And and talking to Dave really uh, shined a light on that for me. And he's just a really lovely, good dude. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him. So I think people enjoy this one. I, I love this one. And yeah, let's just jump straight into it. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode with the Kobe Co. Steelers head coach, Mr. Dave Dillon. Japan. Yeah, so we've been back. Um, I've got so I've got three daughters. One's at school in New Zealand. Um, she just turned seventeen. My other two at school here. So 
they've come through the Japanese system. One's at an international school now, and the other one is still a Japanese school. Yeah, in, in so, Kobe. In Kobe, yeah. Well, yeah, in the Kobe area. So um, my middle girl, who's the oldest with us, Lily, she's goes to a Catholic international school about takes about half an hour on a couple of trains in the morning. Oh yeah. And my little one, Xanthi, she's 11. Um, she, I can see a school from here, from our apartment. So she's just up the road. So um, we, we got back uh, start of August so that they could start, go straight into their school. school have, you seen, have you seen the benefit to the girls having spent a lot of time in another culture? Because I, I grew up in Hong Kong and I, I feel like that's been very helpful for me. Like, have you seen that with the kids? Yeah. Oh, short answer, yes. Yeah, massively. Like, I think, you know, you talk about resilience and that, like, um, only European kid in the year group, you know, and my, my uh, middle girl went into Japanese school when she was 11, blonde hair, blue eyes. So, you know, that comes with its challenges, but um, out of it, out the other side of it, there's a language, there's a culture, there's an independence, um, resilience. So it's been, it's been really good. Even my older daughter, she did a year with us. And just the benefits of that year as well um, in that space is, yeah, as I mean, I'm preaching to converted, you know, if you're in Hong Kong, it's a pretty fast moving beast, you know. Well, I found it very interesting. So I lived in Hong Kong until I was eight and then moved to Coffs Harbour, which is on the mid north coast of New South Wales. Lovely place, but you couldn't have two more different worlds. And I, you know, I've, I felt that having that upbringing has probably helped me in a lot of ways as, as I've grown up and still continue to grow up so i never learned cantonese though. i've got very bad grasp of cantonese how, how are you going with the japanese sort of things do you do you guys make an effort to learn the language um and stuff like that and get into the culture um i have yeah i have so um i mean you probably get different things from different people but i'm not afraid to put myself out there and give it a go i guess the hardest thing is not doing languages at a younger age and then trying to learn the languages, particularly the Japanese is the sentence structure. So, you know, the, um, how that works. So I can put together the words in that and, and the players sort of get what I'm getting at, but is it, is it perfect? Well, it's far from it probably, but yeah, I've made a real effort in that space and still continue to try and bang the door on it. I feel the players and the people probably uh, appreciate that because I know you've got quite a few foreign guys, but a lot of the guys are Japanese. And I've, I've spoken to a few different guys who, like I saw a team team meeting with one of the teams and uh, the coach was speaking in English, then he would stop and then the translator would speak in Japanese. And I found that incredibly fascinating to, to watch. Is that how you guys do that as well? Or do you try and do a, lot, a bit of the team stuff in Japanese as well? I think more so. I mean, you've got generic calls, and around with your with the different parts of the game, but um, generally a team meeting when you're when you're trying to get points and that across, you generally use a translator. But out on the field on the run, if you've got some key vocabulary words, you know there's rugby term terminology that they understand, and then there's basic words in Japanese that they understand. But I mean, I think that was one of the things put through. Like it takes twice as long to translate a sentence, you know. So in in any High performance environment time is, you know, of the of the essence. So being efficient around that space um, as much as you can is pretty important in your planning. Mate, um, let's. Are you you're good if we just rip straight yeah. into it? Yeah, no worries. Mate, firstly, thank you so much for doing this. It's it's wonderful to talk to someone who isn't my wife. We're I think we're in day ninety of lockdown in Sydney, <laughs> and this is the podcast has been a wonderful outlet for me. So firstly, thank you very much. How's life, mate? How have you found the last couple of years of COVID? Uh, and I guess where where are you? Yeah, so I'm currently um, in Kobe in Japan. So I'm on Rocco Island. Um, so it's about seven minutes drive to the club or 25 minutes walk. So we're, we're on a man-made island, um, South Japan. So about half an hour south of Osaka. Um, so I'm at a steel company, Kabelco Steelers. Well, Kobe Kabelco Steelers now with a new competition. Um, yeah, COVID's, I mean, there's no blueprint for COVID. I guess some sort of my mindset is anything like that, you, you just got to adapt and roll with the punches, really. Like, you can't control a lot of the stuff that's in and around and been happening. 
I guess um, for us, it disrupted our particularly our 2020 season. Um, and then obviously last season, certain restrictions around what we could and what we couldn't do socially as a group, um, what we had historically done as a group, but you know, that sort of changed. And then and around not playing the big crowds and those sort of things. But I mean, um, yeah, just to go back to my original point, mindset is you just adapt and get on with it. And I guess the one thing for us personally was when it first hit going back to New Zealand and as she alluded to, I've got a, uh, an older child at boarding school in New Zealand and spending eight weeks, although, you know, the honeymoon period sort of wears off, you're saying about 90 days or whatever it is, but just as a family together um, was, you know, it was hugely beneficial and, you know, pretty precious time. So, um, yeah, so just, just in here and just about to start our pre-season in a couple of weeks um, for the new competition, 20, 2021-22 competition here in Japan. Awesome, mate. Look, I've got a ton of questions for you, but I've got to start with the question that I ask all the coaches that I talk to. And I, I got asked it for the first time this year, and it, it really made me reflect on, on why I want to be a coach and why I've started coaching. So, Dave, why do you coach? Oh, I think, you know, it's a, the next greatest thing to being able to play the game. I mean, being around the game and the game that's given, like so many others, given me so much. Um, opportunity and experiences. I guess for me, it's pretty simple. Like the, well, I'd say it would be fulfilment of of seeing someone grow and develop. So on and off the field, and knowing that you've played a, a small part in that. Like I think that's pretty priceless. Um, and around, so from a rugby point of view, but also from a personal point of view. So that's probably. I mean, I um, I come to teaching pretty late, so I come back from playing overseas and. Worked, worked actually back in rugby uh, with Waikato um, for sort of 16 months and did a bit of study through a, a friend, Greg Smith, the ex-Fijian international hooker and Chiefs hooker, who was, who was a professional development manager for the Chiefs at the time and did some university papers and ended up going back and doing a dip tea for 10 months, a diploma and graduate diploma in teaching. And then from that ended up in Auckland at Sacred Heart Boys teaching. So which is hugely rewarding, um, something that I could never have done when I was younger, I think. I wasn't sort of at the stage, but um, for me, a really good foundation um, for, for where I've eventually ended up, I guess. Mate, something else that I've been asked for the first time this year, and I've got a lot of young coaches that listen to this podcast, and it's, it's around coaching philosophy. Is it important to have a coaching philosophy for a coach? And if so, do you have a coaching philosophy that you that guides your coaching style and, and your coaching? Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's important to be yourself. Probably first things first. I mean, oh, there's so much information out there and so many different things going on. But, I mean, we're all unique from, you know, how we're raised and our socialisation and our experience in that shape and mould us, I think. You know, you, mine would be um, in around the learning. So it would be um, everyone has the ability to learn. It's the environment that's created. That's your point of difference. So and the people within your environment. So um, I'm sort of big on that. And I guess the other thing I just alluded to is that you, you know, even though you're a group, you're a collective group, no one's the same. Like someone might have certain traits of someone else and some of that, but everyone's pathway to where they're at and how they've grown up and like so just alluded to experiences is you know a big part of how they are so you know getting to know the people within your group and your staff and respect and understand where they're coming from is I reckon is really important I want to talk well I don't want to talk about COVID but I feel like with any hard time there's there's plenty of lessons that can come out of it and and this is my first year as a coach so i I'm looking at it from completely fresh eyes. And, and to me, coaching really shines a light on human beings. And as you said, every single person's different. And it's our job, I believe, to build a relationship with them. How, how did COVID, how, how did you find COVID, the COVID period with the guys and, and helping guide your men through that period of time? Because I could imagine that would have been 
a fair challenge. Obviously, as you said, you just got to get on with it, but everyone deals with stuff differently. Yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, you're 100% right. I mean, um, I guess the biggest thing for us as a collective group is, you know, your own situation. So if you've got someone who's compromised or you're compromised and around the risk factors, then that obviously adds, you know, anxiety to it. And then the other thing is around is, you know, the what if, the what if, if you bring it into the team or you give it to someone that is compromised and they don't get a good outcome, there's not a great outcome out of that. So we spend a lot of time, you know, one-on-ones talking to our group and around how they thought about it and their thought, you know, what they were going through and making sure that we stay engaged in that time. I guess some of the learnings were, I mean, when you're running our program, some of the learnings, you know, your first thing you switch to is, okay, we've got a competition that we've got to be, and I'm only talking like like COVID this, this past season. Um, we've got a competition, uh, competition that we need to, you know, we need to, these guys that have, because we, we, we actually got COVID um, through no fault, you know, if the boys were, it's in the community over here and, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to pick up as we've seen. Um, so we actually got COVID. Um, so just coming back to my point is, you know, we're sort of going, oh, how do we keep the boys fit and engaged in this time that we have to shut down for two weeks? But realistically, it was more when you took a step back was, well, how do we, how do we make sure that everyone's all right? You know, how do we, how do we try and get around and support um, our men? Um, and how do we get across how they're feeling and, how can we get some solutions or come up with some strategies that when we do come back together that we're, we're together? So, um, and, you know, the most unique thing about it is we're dealing with, you know, you look at New Zealand at the moment, obviously Australia and that, but there's no blueprint for it. So even though people are saying they're on top of it and everything like that, well, you know, it hasn't happened before. So some of the stuff that's happening, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I guess, it, again, it just shines a light on it and we can only do the best that we can. You've, you've mentioned creating a learning environment and I, I was very lucky to talk to um, Mr. Wayne Smith and the common theme that keeps coming up with all these really successful coaches and, and people is, is a growth mindset and, you know, a constant learning. And, and for me, something I've found incredibly fascinating is you learn something as a coach and then it opens up a whole new set of things to learn and to dive into. And it's, it's almost like the more you learn, the more you realise that you don't actually know anything. What kind of tactics do you use with your coaching staff and with your players to create a learning environment? I think first of things, first you've got to involve them. So it's easy. You could be easy as a coach to stand up there and be be the font of knowledge and, you know, be the, and, and say this and say that and be across everything in that space, if that makes sense. But I think within your group, I mean, you, you look at any any sports team, people got different experience and different things to add. So involving people. So for us, for me, you know, 100% what you're saying is there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but there's a lot of people around me that know a lot more stuff in a, different areas than I do. You just mentioned um, Smithy, like Smithy is next level. Like his his record speak for himself. I think the the greatest thing is obviously you've got his rugby technical, tactical, and his understanding and intuition. But also he's just a good man in around the care for people, players, and staff. Which you know that balance is really important. Um, with a learning environment, I think yeah, just making sure that people have the opportunity to express their opinion, feel comfortable, express their opinion and are part of the day-to-day um, happenings within your environment, you know? So, you know, example of that is, you know, how your leadership group works, um, you know, running both sides of the ball, the, the players within those groups, how you work with them, um, players presenting, all those sorts of things, for players feeling comfortable to, to come to you and with, with some ideas, um, you know, something that I think is going to benefit the group or something that's important for the group or something that they see happening in the group that they think needs to change or, and vice versa, you know. Dude, can, can I just ask on that? So um, obviously I, I find a learning environment very motivational for people and I certainly get, 
you know, really pumped up when I'm in a group who's all trying to improve and learn and grow. Do you have any tactics to cut through the shit ideas for, for a lack of a better way of saying it? Yeah. Well, I think first things first, you've got to listen. That's that's the first thing you'll be prepared to listen. And then, I mean, in the position of that, I mean, I'm fortunate enough, I've got some really good people around me, like I messaged Wayne, um, I mentioned Smitty. Um, you know, within the coaching group, there's guys that have, um, we've got a, uh, one guy, Andreas Beckers, who's played for Kobe and played a lot of rugby. So he's got the playing side and then moved into coaching and is a, you know, a fast developing, you know, doing a really good job. Um, but Nick Holton, who played over here for eight or nine years and has been coaching over here for 10 years, Steve Cumberland. So we've got all these guys that have got different experiences and everything like that. But I guess ultimately you've got to decide if it's going to be beneficial to the group. Yeah. So what what is what is going to make change and what is going to make positive change? Um, the other side of it is having a mindset around trying things as well. You know, but, but having the mindset, uh, well, not a risk, but just uh, just to have a go and try it and see how it goes, you know? Well, I, I asked Wayne that question because in my mind, if you were trying new things with the All Blacks, with all the pressure that comes with being an All Black and an All Black coach, you'd want to know that it worked. And he said that he didn't think about it like that at all mm. and that they tried so many things that didn't work. But because they tried things, he, he actually thought that that was one of the key successes to the 2011 World Cup, which I thought was fascinating. What have you tried that hasn't worked? Um, well, I guess there's always, there's probably a long list of things. I think... Um, that's a good question. And around, oh, we, we tried a, a different way of training preseason last year. Um, there was a number of reasons why it didn't work, but we we put it in and we tried it, and it was to do with periods of intensity and that. And um, in reflection, it probably wasn't as successful as it could have been. Yeah. Um, and I think when that happens, it's always important to review it and look at it and find out the why. And there was, there was sort of a number of reasons about going into it, but. Um, you know, we gave it a we gave it a good crack, and it didn't come off. And then we sort of pulled it apart, and how we'd do it again, uh, how we'd do it differently. Um, obviously, going yeah. into the preseason. Um, I did, yeah, sorry for asking that. I just find it, it, it no, interesting. No, good coaches talk about things that might not work because I feel like a lot of young coaches they want to nail everything and get it right the first time. So to hear um, someone who's done what you you've done, you know, trying things and adjusting and learning. I think that's probably something that's quite important. Well, that's what we're asking your players to do, isn't it, at times? Yeah. So, you know, your mindset's got to match that. Um, can, can I ask about working with Wayne? I've, I've obviously been very lucky to talk to a couple of um, the two, two of the best directors of rugby in, in, in the game, in Pat Lamb and Wayne. What does a director of rugby do and how, how is it different from a head coach? I haven't actually asked anyone that question yet. Oh, I think it's a good question. Obviously, um, with Wayne, I mean, I've spoken about his experience, but, uh, you know, um, he sees things that, that I don't. Probably the easiest way to... Um, and then sometimes I'll look at it and go, oh, yeah, I was across that. So I guess he's across how we are as a program. So and around as a high performing uh, performance program, um, you know, feeding in ideas all the time and around, you know, key areas on and off the field, um, which leads to great discussions um, and um, challenging us, you know, in terms of, okay, you, we, we're doing that or have you looked at this and, you know, have you thought about that? And, you know, this is some ideas around that. So just constantly challenging us constantly feeding in looking looking and just an overarching I guess person with great experience um, so he's almost he's almost a mentor for the coaches would, would that be a simplified way of saying it yeah I guess you could look at it that, that way yeah yeah 100% and you know we're well for me you know like we we're pretty blessed in that space um, and um it makes you, because of the, the way that he is as a man, it makes you, you know, not that saying that you don't, but it makes you wanting to wanting to keep improving and having the same mindset, you know, because you look at that situation and you think, 
you know, you could sit back, uh, achieved so much in the game on and off the field, um, firstly as a player, then as a coach and as a man. And then just the, I guess, to look at it and see how he's trying to get better all the time and looking for a one percenter or a point of difference, you know, it's it's pretty motivating. I could imagine. One, they're a wonderful resource for, for all your coaches and players as well, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, he's got a great way with right across the group, you know, and you talk about, um, you talked at the start of the conversation around language, you know, like he uses Japanese and, you know, we'll put, put posts up with Japanese and, and we're speaking Japanese and, you know, so that, you know, he's a, straight away he's showing, you know, in terms of trying to evolve and change and be better. What have you learned about coaching being in Japan? Ne- nearly every coach I've spoken to who was coached in Japan said for their development, it was one of the best things that they've done uh, as they really had to get concise in their coaching. What's your take on that? How have you found coaching there? And, and what are the big takeaways that you've learned from being there? Oh, I 100% agree with that. I mean, we just alluded to before when something gets translated, it normally takes twice as long from English to Japanese. So probably be the first thing and around being across what you want to say and how you want to say it and what what are what is key, what are the key messages in that space. Um, so that's been incredibly beneficial for me because I'm a bit of a, a tangent guy in terms of always thinking and going off on different tangents and so I've been told by my wife every second day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that would be a big takeaway that. And I guess... Um, just the aura of how hard the and how committed um, you know the Japanese the Japanese culture in terms of to their work uh, and to their company like our boys you know first and foremost we are a company team and our boys love for the company understanding of the company of the people within our company what we make you know the history of the company those sort of things um, you know it's quite motivating inspiring to see that and also um, to tag onto the back of that, you know, our foreign players, you know, adopting that same mindset and around the company and the history of the company. And so I think for me, you know, being involved with the company team is pretty unique and special, I think, I believe, um, and knowing the people within the company um, and, and what we do. So for, for me, that's been great. And I think in any organisation, moving forward, whatever, wherever, you end up and it takes me or takes people is, you know, that's one thing that stands with me is knowing who you're, who you're playing for, why you're playing and that, you know, and what you want to achieve moving forward. How do you cultivate that within the group? Do you, do you encourage them to go and, and, you know, get into the factory? Do you, do you encourage them to go and do community stuff so that instead of just playing for the team, you realise that, Kobe is actually a big community and I can imagine that if you can build that within an organisation, you're going to get more out of the players when it comes to training and games. Yeah, 100%. That's a foundation of our environment, really. Probably to answer that question. That's a foundation of our environment. So, you know, it's been, not, I think, 95, 96 years a rugby team was created um, at Kobe Steel, Kabako um, Steelers. So, you know, it's a long history. Like a lot of people sit back and they think that's quite young. Rugby's quite young in Japan. When you look yeah. at that, like 95, 96 years of steelworkers, you know, as an outlet for them off the field to go and play and socialise and that sort of space. So the short answer to that question is, yes, it's a big part of our environment um, and it will continue to be a big part of our environment. And um, you alluded to, yep, so I think, you, you know, there wouldn't be our players know what our company makes. They know where the factories are. You know, they know all those sort of things and around it, which I think is pretty important when that's who you're playing or one of the one of the people that you're playing for or, or the identity that you're playing for. I heard you do a podcast with Jay from Talking Performance, I think it was. Um, I think he's in charge of the New Zealand Golf Program. And, and you mentioned relationships and, and how important it is as a coach to have relationships with your players. Now, I've heard every different theory under the sun from coaches who some don't like getting close to their players because, you know, down the track they're going to have to drop them. And then 
Steve Hansen, I, I heard him say he likes to get close to the players uh, because it helps him coach them better. What's what's your take on on relationships with players? I think first and foremost, they've got to know that you care. Um, I think that's really important. Um, I don't know. I don't think, you know, around at the end of the day, that's part of my from the, the end point is if, you know, you don't, I don't think of a relationship with the player with that end point in mind if you're put in a position where maybe you have to have a tough conversation around um, them moving forward in the group. You know, I, I think that's the last thing on your mind. First and foremost is having a relationship, um, them knowing that you care and, and a working relationship and, a, and inside of work, you know, knowing them and getting the best out of them. Because at the end of the day, that's your role across the whole group, um, staff and players. So, yeah, I, I, would, I totally agree with that. I think it's really important. Do you, do you, well, do you have relationships any relationships are the foundation of any environment? Is, is it just as simple as having a, you know, catch up every week, even a, a two-minute chat, a text message? Like, do you, do you have any tactics or do you have, like, what's your approach to actually getting to know your people? I think spending the time little and often. You know, like that, that busy, they got things, you know, the most important thing is the interrelationships across the whole group. But, you know, just the, how you word your, how you word your question to them or how you check in with them and you know, how you involve them within the group and how you listen. I think it's a combination. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of another uh, number of things. And I think at the end of the day, like rugby's like really, really important, but, you know, out so has been so is checking on your men and knowing that they're in a good space and you know let's be honest we all have stuff like you just alluded to been locked down for a long time and all those sort of things we all have different stuff's going on for different reasons so you know reading the signs and making sure that we're constantly checking in and I guess that's a huge thing within our group I like to think with the guys that we've got involved players and staff is that they're you know everyone's pretty open and and everyone you know, it does care about everyone else, which I think is the foundation of a pretty strong group. What do you What do you do to develop your players as men away from the game? Do Do Kobe have any programs or things that you guys do? Um, well, we do. Yeah. Well, so we go in around the company. We have a sort of a rostered. Um, a rostered system, so we'll go in and we'll pick up rubbish in around the in around the company. So one of the company, the main, the head office, which is about sort of ten k's from here, and then we we've um, started sort of last eighteen months. We go and we do school patrol. So basically, we're we're in the public. We're out there, you know. It's quite cool actually seeing the kids, young kids, elementary school, coming to school and seeing the staff and around that space as well. Um, and then obviously COVID's been a little bit in around what you can and what you can't do, but just certain things and around anything that's good for the community. Um, our, our company does a lot of things in around the community and we quite often will dovetail on the back of something um, like that. But that's probably COVID's been the biggest challenge in that space. Yeah, because I guess you can't go out and do as much with all the restrictions yeah, yeah, you can't. I think um, we've yeah we've got some initiatives moving forward f- for this year. Um, but yeah, that's one one big thing we do in around going back in around our company, um, you know, uh, in our community and around that, and then giving back to you know the school and around the school. And you've 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 found that beneficial um, not only for the players as human beings, but I'm sure that's had a flow on effect to the rugby side of things as well. Yeah, well, I think it's showing gratitude, isn't it? Like gratitude's a, I mean, it's a fast-moving beast, a high-performance environment, I guess, as in any business. Or, you know, I just alluded to before being in a school, you know, a big school, it's its own environment, fast-moving beast as well. So I think anything that gives you time to take a step back, show gratitude and keep your feet on the ground and and, and understand that, um, you know, you know, particularly with a new competition, like we're going to Kobe, Kabako Steelers, like we represent, you know, pretty wide area and a wide diversity of businesses and people and walks of life. 
we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but something I've I've been learning about is, is the concept of failure setting you up for or learning from failure. It's probably a better way of saying it. Do, what's your relationship like with failure? And f- failure is often seen as a bit of a dirty word, but it really seems to me anyway to be a, a critical component to success. What's your relationship like with it? Oh, I think failure is an opportunity. Well, it's a cheesy thing, but failure is an opportunity to learn. Like it's your mindset towards it. I mean, some of your biggest learnings can be from things that haven't worked out or things that haven't, you know, gone to plan. Um, so I think it's. I go back to that. It's probably having the mindset. Well, it is having the mindset around how you approach that. So do you see it as the end of the world. Are you down? Like it's naturally. I mean, when you're competitive, you don't like failing. To be honest, particularly if it's on the scoreboard, but. I guess it's the reaction to the failure and what you do and the learnings from the failure that grow you as a person. And I think that's, yeah, that's not any sport. I mean, and that's why, you know, sport relates to business and relates to life. You know, so many parallels and cross, cross section, you know, cross credible things in around that space. So I see it as an opportunity to learn and, you know, uh, I've failed, you know, put my hand up where you've failed at, at a lot of things. And then the other side of that is that, you know, it builds that, if you've got that mindset to learn and it builds resilience, you know, we're trying to, I mean, one of the hardest jobs in the world is being a parent, isn't it? Like, you know, trying to get the balance. Like, I've got two, teen, two teenage daughters and you know, there's nothing that I've done or anything that I know at the moment. So it's trying to, you know, keep that relationship going and, and keep them honest and keep them grounded and understand that I've got one that's a perfectionist and, and one that's a bit of a cruiser, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's funny. That's another funny whole people, podcast in itself, isn't it? It's funny how people from the same background could turn out quite different, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And then you say to your wife, "Oh, that's your side of the family." And you know <laughs> that it's one hundred percent your side of the family. You know, you see yourself, you see your behaviours, or you see, you know, things that you would, you know, situations, and you would have done the same thing. You know, yeah. I, 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 the only reason I ask about failure is because, um, you know, I'm, I'm involved with Southern Districts Rugby Club, which is a shoot shield club in Sydney. And, and I see a lot of guys trying and then when they don't get success straight away, they tend to, to fall off and, and drift off. And, you know, I've been lucky to, enough to talk to some very successful people now. And one thing that keeps coming up over and over again apart from having a growth mindset, is having a healthy relationship with failure because everyone, you know, even Wayne, the most successful, greatest coach of all time, has, has failed. So I, I just think having a healthy relationship with failure is, is something that's critical for people to develop. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100% agree with that. I, I guess the, the thing with failure is if, if it becomes that you're failing in the same area, and it becomes a trend, then I'd see that as a big issue. But yeah. if you're failing and you're learning from it, adapting, open to feedback about it, to change, you know, and seeing that having resilience to go, okay, well, that, that's not going to happen again, and this is why it's not going to happen again, and this is the plan moving forward. So I think that's, you know, it's two very different things in that space. I guess that's... Yeah, no different when you look at a player like we want our players to and staff as well as I talked about the uniqueness of each individual but to you know really celebrate and work hard on the things that makes them unique and successful and the position that they're in and then put the work work into the stuff that they areas that they feel that they're not great at that they want to improve on and you know having the mindset around that and then only stepping in if you know they continue to fail at something and they're not getting the change and so you're almost kind of you're almost guiding them rather than explicitly telling them. Is, is I, I think so. Well, I can I can tell you, like you know, we're having a chat today, but I could, and you could do the same. So after the podcast, I could come back and say, hey, listen, this is what I think you know to make this better. You could do this or you could do that, and you could say that to me and around the interview. But if you're not open to change and you really don't want to change, it doesn't matter a, a hoot what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's knowing your athlete, knowing how to approach them, knowing the person, knowing how they deal with that. Because people deal with different things in different ways, you know. So, and then just trying to 
um, you know, plan a word or have someone else that might be better to broach that than you, you know, so I guess that's all those sort of things are really important. Man, it's, it's the fascinating part of coaching, isn't it? It's just how different every human being is and how they learn and their, their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations. It's all different. 100%. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about coaching teams, mate. How, what do you believe makes a successful coaching team? And, and how do you work with your team? Do you, so you mentioned Andreas Becker was the line-out coach. Do you just allow him autonomy with the line-out or is it um, sort of under, you know, is it under you or, or how, do you, how do you work that and how do you see that? Well, see, I mean, those got, I mean, the different coaches got in the different areas, are, um, you know, they're experts in that area. So that's the first thing. So that'll probably lead to sort of the answer is, you know, I trust that they're going to be across their detail. Um, you know, we've all got similar mindsets around player involvement and, you know, bouncing ideas and working with our players um, in that space. So example, as I know, Andreas has got a Zoom with um, one of our Japanese um, locks today. So in around asking him some questions and finding out some a little bit more about him and then, putting some, you know, some templates to him what he, and getting his input or what he thinks from his experiences. So across the group, all our coaches have sort of got that mindset. I, I mean, if you micromanage and you're in all the time, I think you don't have the right, right people, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, you know, and I guess the other mindset with the group I said about experts, but, you know, not having egos and discussing things, so opening, dis, openly, openly discussing, you know, this area of the game and um, when we when we do coach everyone has something that they're looking at so it might not be their area um, like example attack but the attack coach might them have having them looking at the shape off nine and how they're reloading getting that shape and the skill set so it might be sensible area and then another coach might be watching um, you know how we get the ball to width for example and you know are we square and all those sort of things so everyone's we sort of have a thing within our group that everyone's got, you know, not opinions all the time, but, you know, can come up and say, hey, look, have you thought about this in your area or, look, I saw this yeah. or, so everyone's engaged. Um, conflict's probably the wrong word, but when you have differences of opinion within the coaching staff, do you have some kind of process for coming to an outcome? Well, I think it's as simply as, I mean... You don't, I mean, if you think you got to get on all the time, like I said, it's, you don't, but like having respect then probably a basic philosophy around disagree and commit. So say your, say your part, say what you think, and then ultimately a decision's made. You know, sometimes you agree with that decision, other times you won't, but you've got to commit to it as a group, collective. And do you, so to just say you've got a difference of opinion with the, you know, the, the scrum coach and and you talk about it and you can't quite come up with the right answer. Do we do you tend to go with what the scrum coach is saying and just buy into it? Is that your approach with that? Well, I think I'm, I mean, um, although during lockdown I did look like a bit of a prop, but um, I haven't played in there much, you know, so, you know, yeah. Um, as I say, you know, our scrum coach. That's just an example. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, ours, for example, um, Steve Cumberland's our scrum coach and forward coach and coach at super level, uh, coach minor 10 cup. And over here, a couple of Japanese companies, like, I can't go get to the library and get a, a book out on, I can go to the library and get a book out on scrums, but I can't get the experience of, you know, how you put it together. I've got a basic understanding. So, I'd go with him Yeah, on that. I'd go okay. with and and you know and then come back from that you know the way that we work like we've got a couple of front rowers that played over fifty tests for Japan you know so within his group you know he's working with those great great relationships with those guys so yeah. I, I'd tend to tend to lean towards going going with him. Do you have any non-negotiable attributes for people that you work with who are involved with your team? I think first thing first, you you need to be a good man. Like you need to be uh, a decent person. Um, you need to want to be here. 
you know, for the right reasons, probably the, a big one in, in Japan. Um, and then, you know, you've got to be able to, it's got to be enjoyable too, you know. So you got to, you know, we're all different characters, but you've got to enjoy each other's company and, um, you know, uh, be open to open to growth, like have a great growth mindset, and open to change. Because if you know, if you if you always do what you've done, you're not going to evolve and you'll get caught. So I think that's yeah. you know, the, well, people here. I mean, you challenge your players to be better in all areas, and you know it's important that you challenge yourselves. And that I'm open to being challenged as well. Yeah. I think if you're open to being challenged, and you've got a growth mindset, and that then. If you're challenged in the right way, it's probably the most important thing. Do the players ever challenge you? Yeah. Yep. And, and, and how, what's the right way for a player to challenge? Well, I think we've got an open door policy. And if you've got those, you go back to the start there. If you've got those relationships where they'll feel comfortable that they can come and have a word and challenge you and ask you a question and stuff like that. At the end of the day, we're all in it together. Um, yeah. So, I think, and then it's looking at what they're raising and why they're raising it, and how it affects the team, and you know, are we going to go with that change or that suggestion, or are we not? And then communicating the reasons why. Yeah. Do you do much personal development away from rugby? Oh, I just talked about my two teenage daughters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're learning. You're learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean, I. I um, Love reading articles. I mean, LinkedIn. Um, and there's some awesome stuff on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter. There's a lot of good things on Twitter and around there when you weed through them and around coming up what different people are doing in different sports or different businesses. So I think I'm always looking at that sort of thing. And, you know, having conversations. I've got a, a great mate of mine is, um, is we were at Sacred Heart Boys in Auckland and he was um, first 11 football coach and I was doing the first 15 and we are doing the uh, the rugby and soccer academies or football academies. Danny Hay. Um, so I speak to Danny quite regularly um, and his role, he's just come off a pretty successful campaign in the Olympics with the Ollie Whites. Yeah. So he's from another sport, but he's someone that I know really, really well and um, you know have a really good relationship with and can run and have conversations around what they're doing and how they're doing in situations. And then, um, yeah, really fortunate. We talked about Wayne, um, but Dave Galbraith, who's a sports psych from a really, uh, from a rural background, went into um, tertiary education later in life and um, was fortunate enough to first work with him when I was involved at the Chiefs, um, who's a man who, you know, has so much knowledge, but is able to get it across to everyone in, in simple terms. It's probably the yep. best way to put it. So, you know, three or four people that you can speak to outside of your environment. And um, and then you've got a couple of mates that are pretty successful in business that I've grown up with that, you know, you can just have a Zoom beer with and looking for what they're doing and they're around managing people or, you know, um, ask their feedback on certain certain things you have your sort of preconceived idea around it so I think having a growth mindset is pretty important being open to change and understanding that you don't know everything and respecting and having the mindset that your power is in your people the people that you've got around you and the people yeah. that you can bounce ideas off that are outside of the environment that are impartial yeah do you, do you and, do and, this... and then having someone like Wayne who's you know well, I was going to say, he's probably the ultimate uh, for rugby personal development. But as a coaching staff, do you guys do anything um, to to develop as rugby coaches as well? Yeah, well, I like to think that that's probably a point of difference for us. Like we're always looking at um, different ways to present, looking at trends in the trends in the game. Obviously, there's a bit going on in the game at the moment. Um, no, just trying to get one percenters, um, but first and foremost, looking at ourselves and seeing, you know, um, what does our plan look like? Where are we trying to get better? How are we, how are we assessing that and um, checking in on that and making each other accountable and yourself accountable in that space? So that's that's you alluded to what you look for within a coaching group. I reckon that's really important, like being open to change and being open to new ideas, but also having the mindset that 
you don't know everything and you're wanting to get better and having a first for knowledge and you know I've alluded to that I think that's yeah. really important that, that probably ties into my next question but I'll, I'll ask it anyway what makes a great coach is it all the things we've we've kind of touched on already yeah I think so and understanding how they all fit in is probably yeah. the, how it all fits in and the intuition around that and yeah, understanding how it all fits into environment and understanding how it functions and on and off the field and those sort of things. And, yeah, I think pe- people's a big part of it. I think, pe- you know, people in relationships are a massive part of of coaching. But I think, you know, when you look at a lot of people that are doing good things in different parts of the world and business and stuff like that, Generally, they're you know some of them are pretty ruthless, and they've got to where they got to just through having that hard nose approach. And, being, and you know that's fine; that's a different way to being successful. And but a big chunk of them are people that are, understand people and understand the importance of relationships, and understand that um, they're not always going to be right. And putting up your hand when you're not right is probably another important aspect, I reckon. And understanding and recognizing and acknowledging when you do get things wrong. Yeah, mate. Um, thank you so much for your time. I've got a couple of couple more questions for you. And I'll, I know you're a busy man, so I'll, I'll let you go. Um, Wayne mentioned during our conversation that something he saw as incredibly important for coaches is to be able to sit in the crow's nest and to look out and see you see what was happening within the rugby game and within coaching. Where do you see rugby going? There's been a lot made about the South African style of play lately. Um, personally, I love watching it but I've played tight end prop. What's your take on the game and how it's going? Oh, I think, obviously, you look at the test match on the weekend. I mean, as a spectacle, uh, as you say, like everyone's mindsets or attitude towards it's based on, you know, what you're saying, you're a tight end prop and you love the... I loved it. <laughs> ...the grind and the physicality <laughs> and that sort of stuff. I, I like the expansive game, like moving the ball and, you know, um, what's best. Well, I don't know. I think as a viewing spectacle, playing with the ball and ball and play and is what everyone wants to, well, majority of people want to see. But end of the day, I think what that represented is there's, there's different ways to win. Yeah. There's different ways to play the game and, you know, everyone's unique in their style. Um, I look at their profile and think the athletes have got that, they'd play one hell of an expensive style if, if they had that mindset around it. But at the end of the day, it was a 65, well, 60-metre penalty or whatever it was on the angle for us to, for the All Blacks to win it. I think the biggest thing in the game at the moment is, obviously it's been in the news the last week or 10 days, is it around the contact, the amount of contact per week and looking at that, that space and the player welfare and... Um, you know, the post-game, the welfare of the players and that. So I think that's really interesting around the tackle height. Um, first and foremost, how many contacts you're doing a week, um, how you gauge that contact and then the contacts in the game and for the player welfare. So I think it's really be interesting around the tackle height, um, which seems to be some of those rules that have been trialled, but particularly the tackle height. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just what's that space. I mean, we, we're doing some work in around how our, our weeks look with contact. Um, yeah. A little bit changes for us, but not too much. I mean, I heard Stuart Lancaster talk about that Leinster are pretty much um, on a par with the regulations and that and around it, and we're not too far off that either. Um, so I think that, I mean, I see that as a lot. That's quite exciting. Like, it's um, in around your planning and around, you know, what you're wanting to get across and when and how you're doing it. Yeah. You know, that's so just put more emphasis on the coaches to, to coach better, I guess. Well, it's in around the, the balance between the technical and then you've also got the, the, the physical and, and then obviously the tactical and that in that space. So, yeah, I think it's another opportunity to do it better than anyone else if you get it right, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, we've had some good conversations with um, obviously with Adam coming up Smithy our head of performance as coaches um, yeah so it's, it's going to be a little bit of a change but I, I think yeah we'll get we'll actually get more a little bit more coaching out of it technical coaching out of it I, I believe and um, 
at the end of the day, you, you come back to it. The players are the boys that are going out every week, you know, and it is a gladiator sport, the warrior sport. So the more we can look after them and, and have them play okay. the game for a long period of time and having others wanting to play the game from a young age is, is pretty important. Is there one constant piece of advice that you regularly give young coaches or people trying to get into coaching? It's sort of hard because I want to think of myself as still young, <laughs> but the 50s creeping up. But um, I think probably from my experiences is just don't be in a hurry. Like, yeah, I think um, everyone's pathway is different and everyone's opportunities comes at different times, but I think don't be in a hurry. And, and probably the other thing is understand that you, you don't know everything and you're not going to always get it right and, and have a, a mindset to keep being yourself, look at other people that have done great things or doing great things and look at how you could put that in. You could grab something that they're doing or a trait that they've really pushed that you could put into you to who you are and it'd be beneficial to your group. But I think being authentic and being who you are and being consistent in that space is pretty important and just not being in a, not being in a, a rush. Are there any books you frequently recommend to people? Um, actually, I've um, I really enjoyed um, in the arena, Bo Robinson. Like yeah. I know Bo's pretty. He's gone into um, working with businesses and that, and around leadership. And um, I actually, yeah, I bought, bought his book online and I've read his book. And um, you know, his book is from you know a lot of it's around his experiences. Um, you know, um, in all forms of the game, on and off the field, and events that have that he's had happen to him in his life, and that. So I really enjoyed that. Um, Dave Galbraith, I mentioned before, he's got a really good book. He's actually writing another one at the moment, um, Unleashing Greatness. So um, that was a, a, a really good read, and probably more for me because I know him personally. Like it's not just yeah. someone in the book, and. Um, I read, um, I like reading ones from like guys that have been involved in, you know, the, I think the, the military and the SAS, you know, unique. Um, the guy, I think it was Ross Edgley, Edgley or Edgley that um, swam around yeah. Britain. Yeah, you know, maniac. Like everything science, um, physiology wise, he's never built for swimming and just the sheer grit and resilience and the why to do that, you know, and reading that was you know seeing challenges and overcoming challenges and but you know who thinks of that swim around the whole uk you know like yeah. unbelievable and then probably the one that i probably for a lesser reason in terms of but being a kiwi being it from um new zealand aotearoa is the owen eastwood one the, the belonging the one that's just come out like you know uh, i probably had my head buried in the sand but like seeing the um, cross-section of uh, high-performance teams that he's worked with and, you know, relating it back to uh, Māori culture and, um, you know, early to primitive, formative years and how those traits and key things relate to sports teams and businesses and society. So actually, I listened to a podcast with him and Ben Ryan the other day and um, actually ordered the book and sort of halfway through the through that book, but sort of connection there because he is a Kiwi. Um and as I say, a bit naive, I didn't even, you know, when you read and you see, it's like, well, why didn't I know that this guy was doing this and he was a Kiwi, you know? And, and once again, sort of in along the same lines as Dave Galbraith in terms of obviously a very intelligent man, but, you know, very easy, readable book. I mean, I was a physical ed education and health teacher, not English or physics or anything like that, so probably wouldn't want me in your pub quiz team so but I can understand it you know but um, yeah it's it, it, I can relate to it and I can understand it you just mentioned Ben Ryan's podcast are there any other podcasts that you regularly listen to um I like uh Russell Winchell's uh Russell Winchell's got one it's an, a magic let's try to remember what it was um so Russell Winshaw if you've gone Spotify and go into him, I listen to him quite a bit. So he's he's big in around coach education and really innovative. So he's an yeah. ex-premiership player and England Sevens player. 
um, who's been around a number of environments that, so I like listening to that. And um, I've listened to a number. I mean, I've been in a few lockdowns so and a few quarantines. So um, my wife, oh, I like listening to people from different sports and different backgrounds. So anything that I can get and around that. So as I alluded to, I've been listening to one around um, teenagers, particularly teenage girls and <laughs> what their mindsets are and things around that. So for to try and be better in that area, I'm not saying that we're not doing a bad job, but just cross-referencing. Last question, mate. What advice would you give 18-year-old Dave Dillon? Um, I guess if we all go back and change, it'd be nice. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think maybe just slow down. <laughs> slow down a bit. Um, yeah, probably just slow down. I mean, at 18, I was in that transition, 1993 of Ghana University from high school sort of thing and enjoying life. And you look at it two ways, I guess, but, you know, probably slow down and not be in such a hurry, really enjoy being 18 you know like I think when we're that age we, we're wanting to be older and, and soon enough yeah you're wanting to be younger <laughs> yeah, that's a vicious cycle but right no one tells you how awful being 30 is <laughs> when you're oh uh, wow yeah yeah probably yeah <laughs> always say to say I'm 21 years and 366 months old so <laughs> uh, yeah I think I think slow down I, I think for me like looking back at that like um I haven't talked much about that, but you know, be be have gratitude and be thankful of the people in your life at that age. You don't really look at it's, it's different now. Social media is obviously that's another whole big beast in itself. We didn't have that back in you know. I don't, <laughs> here I am saying back in my day, you don't want to be the old guy who says back in your day, but you know, communication and stuff like that. Yes, you had to physically go see someone or you know make a time or you know ring the phone twice to let them know you're going to be somewhere so their parents don't answer it or things like that, you know. It's a unique growing up. I think, yeah, oh, I had a really cool upbringing and from a from a little town called Nadia and uh, um, sort of 90 minutes from southeast from Auckland. And, you know, I go back there now and that's been another great thing, just to digress a bit for COVID, was my kids were able to go into the local primary school back there in COVID and do things... Yeah that we did growing up and um, my mate's kids are become friends with Mike, you know, just those sort of things that are really important in a rural New Zealand community, you know? Now, yeah, New Zealand's a wonderful country. I, I suppose probably being, Japan's wonderful as well, but being away probably really makes you appreciate how, how wonderful and spectacular New Zealand is as a place, particularly to grow up, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think, yeah, particularly rurally, like in a rural background like um, my wife's also from a rural background yeah it's like things you probably took for granted that are things that you reflect on that are being pretty important and and molding you as, as to who you are and and that and, and then the people you know like just some great people you know, outside of family just some you know real community in every essence of the word so that that was that's been pretty cool and like to be fair being here is huge like Japan's a really safe society and our, our girls get to be like it was when I was growing up. Like, I'm going to go down the park, I'll be I'll be home at six o'clock and you don't have to worry, you know. We're unfortunately in society today in Australia would be the same. You you don't you don't always as a parent, you don't have the confidence in people to allow your children to go and do have that autonomy. Yeah, so Japan, Japan in that space is unbelievable, and the respect for the older generation and how they are and around that. Like I, I think it's awesome. Um, here, it, it takes a bit of adjusting sometimes when you go home and you see something or you hear someone. Like we come out of isolation in Auckland and went straight to Penrose, which is a suburb in Auckland, and got our first shot. So we lined up and got our first COVID shot, and just getting used to a having you know masses of people around because obviously. COVID here different and then just how people were with each other you know yeah and uh, yeah. obviously yeah, it was really interesting Mate, so I went to the grand championships in Tokyo Tokyo for sumo wrestling a few years ago and I was I was blown away by it it's like an ancient culture mixed with the most ultra modern 
technology and suits and people, and I, I just loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So I could have. Uh, it's awesome, mate. Oh, I recommend like, and that's sort of the mindset that we collect, we come to. My wife and I come to is that we're gonna give everything a go, and you know, we are the for, I am the foreigner. I am foreigner here, and you know. There's certain things because of the way that experiences through New Zealand and growing up in New Zealand and that you look at and you sort of sometimes take a breath, but at the end of the day, that's the way things have been here yeah. for many years, you know. And we've got a lot of change within the environment in and around it, and, and that um, which has been great. Um, but there's so many good things that that that's in society over here that um, both Australia and New Zealand could learn and get back to, you know. I reckon I couldn't agree more. Like I, I've probably spent a week and a half in Japan my whole life, but uh, you know I grew up in Asia, and Japan's my favourite country in Asia, and I've, I've been there like ten days. You know, um, let's finish on that, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, best of luck for the year. We get to watch the top league now in Australia, so we're making sure we check in. Um, good luck, mate. Enjoy preseason, and super grateful for your time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. No, listen, um, hopefully I haven't bring the, the viewing audiences down. You've had some pretty outstanding, I think I messaged that to you, some outstanding men and, you know, listening to some of those, taking some bits out of those and that. But um, I guess I guess for me it's, um, yeah, it's exciting, like new competition. Um, and I think, you know, on the back of COVID and the last, well, the 2020-21 shutting down, you know, to have different footy to watch, you know, for the, for the rugby pundit and viewer and enthusiast that, it's um, pretty cool, you know. Thank you, mate. Enjoy the rest oh. of your day. Um, talk, talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. All right, guys, that's today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Dave is a spectacular guest, and I got so much out of talking to him, so I hope you did as well. Um, please do me a favor. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell someone about it. Without a doubt, word of mouth is still the best form of advertising. Um, and I want as many people as possible to be exp- uh, exposed to these kind of people. Uh, we've got some really good guests coming up. I've got a super rugby forwards coach uh, in Australia who's been around the game forever, and we're reaching out to some other people. It's been really rewarding. Some of the people that have said yes, and you know, some of the people who are actually listeners of the podcast, which still blows my mind. Uh, so yeah, please make sure you follow us on social media at Wandering Bear Sports on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, get around us. Uh, we're building this thing listener by listener, which is probably the only way to go. And Yeah, I'm in it for the long haul, guys. So thank you very much, and we'll see you again next week. Peace.